Good morning. It's like I just saw you. Well, the start of school is right around the corner. And uh, I've been counting. This has been a, a 12-week summer. It used to be, when my kids were little, when, all, when the three that I had were little, I used to count the weeks because it was a long summer. And it used to be 10 weeks, but for somehow, this summer was 11 and then my kids didn't go to school on that Monday or Tuesday, which is Labor Day. So we really had 12 weeks, and so it's been a long summer, hot summer. We still have a couple more weeks left, and so, uh, but the good news is this school year, uh, even little John David will be in five-day-a-week preschool. So from 8.30 to 11.45 every day, our house will be quiet anyway. But I won't be here for it, but anyway, this will be quiet. Uh, but... Um, all across our area, teachers will be moving back into their rooms. Students will be getting prepared with back-to-school shopping. The new school year will start here in a few weeks. Last year, I had a high schooler, a middle schooler, an elementary schooler, and a preschooler. This year will be a little different, and I think a little easier, because I'll have two high schoolers, a middle schooler, and a preschooler. And for the first time in over a decade... The elementary schools get a break from having a Wallace, right? First time in over a decade. That's a long time. Anyway, uh, but back to school is the same every year, uh, but it's also a little different. It's the same process, same procedures, same routines, but it, there's always a change. There's a difference in every school, every family. For the Christian, when you are saved, you are the same person. Your identity doesn't typically change when to your when it comes to your personality, but a change is made. You are also different. You're the same, but you're different. You're changing. For one, uh, you're no longer hurtling headlong to hell. You've been saved by the blood of Jesus. You've been born again. God's Spirit now resides in you, convicting you of sin, changing your heart to be more like His. And so throughout the rest of your life, Jesus is in the process of changing you. You don't lose your identity completely. You don't lose your complete personality. But he is changing you to be more into his image. And that's what we're looking at today. So we come across the book of Zephaniah as we start this sermon series. that will take us through the end of September. In October, we'll finally be in the New Testament as we go through uh, the, the, uh, the Bible in a year, but this next series we're going to be looking at some of the prophets and the theme of the prophets, if you could just boil it down to a few words, is they're asking God's people to turn to God, to turn to Jesus, to turn to faith in the one who saves. And so that's really the message. And so we're looking at this, the book of Zephaniah, which is only three chapters today, and we're going to be in chapter three, starting in verse nine. After Zephaniah tells uh, God's people about the judgment that they've earned, that they will undergo, and that they will have because of their sin, he says this in verse 9. There'll be a time, he says, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering. 
On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave you in your midst, uh, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. And they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, and there shall be found in their mouth, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. I pray, Lord, that in the time we have remaining, that you speak through me today, Lord, that my, my words are your words, that you fill me with your spirit, that we receive your word today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. When we die, we go to a place the Bible calls paradise. But when Jesus returns and destroys Satan, destroys evil and death, he will create a new heavens and a new earth. God's people will receive new, resurrected, perfect bodies. And we will dwell eternally in heaven in what's called the new Jerusalem. And this is what this passage is kind of showing that day when he comes back and makes all things renewed. And so in this passage, we get a glimpse of this eternal dwelling as it shows us in this glimpse how Jesus is in the, is in the business of changing things. So in this glimpse, we see three ways that Jesus changes his people. Number one, Jesus changes our attitude. Jesus changes our attitude. Verse 9 says that he will change the speech to a pure speech so they may call upon the name of the Lord and serve them. God changes people's speech when they are believers, when they become believers. Speech is tied to the heart. So there has to be a, a heart change to change one's speech. And what exactly will change with their speech? It says that they'll have a purer speech, which is reflected by their heart. And that same speech is made possible because they've called out to the Lord for salvation. The same mouth that, that cries for God to save them is changed, and a more pure speech comes out. This is why our speech is a good indicator it's a good mirror to 
our heart, which can be troubling if we think about that. Speech is a reflection of our heart. So if you have a problem with cursing or cursing people, then it's a reflection of your heart. And you should check your heart. Look at verse 10. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my, my worshipers, the, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. He's saying that God's people will come all over the world to worship him. Heaven's just not going to be a bunch of South Carolinians, a bunch of Southerners, although I hope there'll be a lot of them, a bunch of Americans. They'll be from all over the world because God didn't just create America. He didn't just create the South. He created the world. So heaven will be global. And he says in verse 11, On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. He says that God will remove the prideful and the haughty. Pride and haughtiness is an indication that one is not one of God's people. So on the day of judgment, day of restoration, God removes them from his mountain. That is the the new Jerusalem. But then he says in verse 12, But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly, and they shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. What he's saying is that pride is a characteristic of not being a child of God. Humility is a characteristic of being God's people. That humble people will be, that, that humility will be the attitude of those who will dwell with God forever. That humble people seek protection from God. Humble pe- people seek God to be their dwelling and the character of God. And God's people humbly trust God because they know He is the one who gives provision. And he is the one who gives protection. Not themselves, not some government, not some person, but God alone. And that is humility. He says, verse 13, that those who are left in Israel, being God's people, he says, they shall do no injustice, speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouths a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. He says, in the heavenly New Jerusalem, There'll be no injustice, no lies, no deceit. You won't have to have your lie detector trying to figure out if somebody's lying to you. Sometimes parenting, that's what we are. We're lie detectors. Is there deceit? Is there lies? What, what is the real truth? What is the real story? You know, we love being around God's people. As much as it's great to be around God's people in the church, as much as we love that fellowship, we still are sinned against. We still sin against others. There's still sin. There's still lies. There's still injustice. There's still, uh, there's still deceit. But in, in heaven, it'll be like church with no sin. Amen? Can you imagine? No one, you don't have to forgive anyone for anything. There's no lying to detect. There's no deceit happening. There's no sin. There's no jealousy. There's no pettiness. There's just unity. Amen? It says that, 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 that you will enjoy life and you will lie down in safety because you will have nothing to fear. That is the restoration that God is giving us. 
And this too is an attitude change, living a life of no fear. Right? We see those, those uh, bumper stickers that have been around forever that says, no fear. I think people who have those are just trying to convince themselves not to be afraid. But in the new Jerusalem, there will be no fear because there's nothing to fear but God himself. And God is a good God that we we revere and respect, that loves us. But there's no sin that can get to us anymore. See, as believers, if we really believe in the future we have offered, if we really believe that we have a good God that loves us, that is making us more like him, then our attitudes will change. Amen? We realize that we can't control the things of the world. We can't control, we have no control over COVID or what our governments do about diseases or COVID. We have no control over what's happening in the Ukraine. We have no control over gas prices other than getting irritated when we pump our gas and grumble at it. We have no control over what's going on in China, but we do have a trust in the God who reigns over all. And that's who we fear. That's who we love. That's who we respect. The God who changes our attitude because he's Lord of our life. Number two, God changes our status. Changes our, our status Verse 14 says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, Israel, rejoice. This should be the response of God's people when they reflect on their salvation. So if you decide to shout in worship, I'm not going to tell you to sit down. Because it's in the Bible. It's commanded. We're commanded to sing loud. We're commanded to rejoice because of what God has done for us. He says in verse 15 that the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. That the Lord is in your midst. The Lord is in our midst today right here in this room. He's with us. He's here today. And in Jesus there's no more judgment. There's no more enemies God has changed our status. We are not guilty of anything anymore because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 16 says that on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. He will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over. There's three things God does. It says right here. What's he do? He rejoices over us. You know that feeling you get when someone that you like or love or a parent or a child does well in an athletic event or something like that? You rejoice. I remember when my oldest child scored their first goal when he was three years old. I think I cried. I rejoiced. God rejoices over us. Amen? We've not really done anything to deserve it. We haven't scored anything. But he still rejoices over us. It says that, it says that he, he quiets us by his love. He, he quiets us down. You know, when my little four-year-old has problems, my job is to not yell back at him. 
My job is to quiet them. Quiet them with my love. And then thirdly, it says that he sings about us. Have you ever written a song about someone and you sang it to them? Maybe you have. I haven't. He sings about us. God does. Isn't that amazing? He sings over us. Our status goes from being condemned, lost in our sins, to being redeemed, where God rejoices over us, quiets us, and sings over us. Amen. That's the kind of God we have. It's an amazing transformation. Jesus changes our status. And finally, number three, Jesus changes our future. Changes our future. Verse 18 says, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. He says, Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will, I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. See, God's in the business of turning, flipping the world upside down. He, he takes the marginalized and through Jesus he makes them important. He takes the outcasts and includes them in his, his family. He takes the, the, the shame of sinners and he turns their shame into praise. He changes the future of people who thought they had no future. He gives them a future, which is all of us. And he says in verse 20, At that time I will bring you in. I, I will gather you together. And I will make you renowned in praise. He's gathering us together. This past week we went to a family reunion in the upstate. And you know, you know I love my wife and my wife's family because I had to drive through Clemson to get there. Drive down the roads with the Tiger Paws on it, all that kind of thing. And even pump gas in my Gamecock shirt there at the gas station there in Clemson. Oops. <laughs> How'd that happen? But anyway, that's what I did. And, uh, but... We all converged on that lake house, coming from all over the place, all over, from the upstate, from Charlotte, from the Raleigh area, from Monk's Corner, all the family, those who were blood and like me who were born into it, all, and I was reminded that I was, I, that I was not born into it, I was married into it, right? I was reminded of that by the host. But anyway, uh, we, all, we all join there together in the common bond to have that reunion for four days and what seemed like eight nights, right? <laughs> I'm joking. All there together. We all came there together. That's what he's saying. That at one time, at that time, I'm going to bring you all in. And it's going to be a heavenly family reunion. With no sin. No problems. Just love and peace and unity. Can you imagine that? It's hard to imagine. Because heaven is not just a new place. It's a restored place where he's bringing you in. He says, I, I am restoring your fortunes. See, before the fall, Adam and Eve existed peacefully with God. There was no shame. There was no sin. But when they sinned, the world became cursed. So heaven is a, is a restoration of God's original design and his plan for us, for the earth. See, all of us are born, we inherit a body we did not design. God designed it. We, uh, we inherit a body of sin. We inherit a situation of sin. None of us asked to be born into the situations we are born in. Amen? <laughs> Some have had it better than others. None of us have asked to be subjected to the experiences we've had to deal with in life, but we have been there. Jesus made it quite clear that the, the man born blind 
was born blind by, by no fault of his own or his parents. He was born blind so that God could work in his life. And he's saying here that heaven is a time of restoration where the blind man will see, where the paralyzed will walk, where the deaf will hear. And he's not just speaking metaphorically. He's speaking literally. The people you know that are blind, and I know some people have never been able to see in their lives, they will see in heaven. Amen. Their, their vision will be restored. The deaf that can't hear any longer, people who die and they lose their hearing and they, and they die and they can't hear, in heaven, they're going to be able to hear everything. People that were born that could never walk, that could never talk, they're going to be jumping and walking and leaping and talking. And some people you won't even recognize because the restoration will be so great you won't even recognize them. Amen? But then you'll know who they are. That is our heaven, our future, our fortune is restored. And that is our hope that we have. That's what Jesus changes. He changes our future. Maybe you've never experienced a spiritual change in your life before. If that's the case, you might not be born again. You might not be saved. Today's the day that you can finally say, Lord, today's the day I'm calling out to you. Today's the day I want to be changed eternally. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to have eternal life with you. I want to be restored. Today's the day you can make that decision. Maybe as you've gone throughout your life, you've seen the changes as a Christian that you've gone through. And, and as a Christian, sometimes these changes are costly. They can cost you relationships. They can cost you a job. They can cost you money. They can cost you a lot of things in your life. Perhaps today, during our, our time of response, you just can come down to these steps. You can say, Lord, help me trust you as, as you make me into your image. Help me trust you as you change me to continue to trust him. I'd be glad to pray with you. Maybe you want me to pray with you. I'll do that as well. But whatever it is, wherever God is moving in your life today, say, Lord Jesus, thank you for being willing to change me and give me the patience, the strength, the endurance that I need as you continue to change me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being that God that changes us. Many times you change us when we're we're kicking and screaming in the other direction. But you're such a loving God that you are still pushing forward in that process. So, Father, as we close our time together today, as we've sung your praises, listened to people singing, and, and taken your Lord's Supper, and been able to try to reorient our hearts. Lord, that we would understand that you are still working in us to change us to make us like you. Lord, we thank you that you change our attitudes. We thank you that you change our status, condemned to redeemed. And we thank you, Lord, that you have changed and are changing our future. Lord, we love you for that. And we, we, in, our, in our repayment for that, Lord, even though we can't, is our praises. We'll give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray.